Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. Today we're going to be answer the, answering the question, what is apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keeping a good conscience so that in the things which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Now, the larger context is all about uh, suffering well, living a good life before non-believers, uh, even if we're hurt unjustly, uh, if we endure it for Christ's sake. Uh, there's a blessing there, and people are going to say, what's going on here? Uh, this is kind of getting back to the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody strikes you on the right cheek, literally or metaphorically hurts you, and you don't fight back, you don't you don't hurt them back, you don't respond with aggression and, hey, I'm going to make you pay for that, but you forgive them, you love them, you bless them instead of cursing them. Uh, that's going to make people say, well, what's going on? Why, why are you different? And that's where we get to this verse. Uh, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So, Step one is to live a life that's different, especially when it when um, especially be ready in the difficult points, the points where people are hurting you, being mean to you. Be ready to be different, uh, to love them, to care for them, um, and so that you stand out, so you're salt of the earth, so that you're light on a you're like a city on a hill. You're different, and then when they ask you what's different about you, what's what's going on in your life. Be ready with a defense. Be ready with an explanation of what's going on in you. Now, this word defense, um, can mean argument or explanation. And the Greek word here is, if I can find it here, apologion. Apologion. And this is, um, from the, the world of law courts, this is the idea of pre presenting a legal defense. So Paul, when he was um, captured in Jerusalem at the end of his career, before he ended up being imprisoned by the Romans, eventually taken to to Rome to present for Nero, and that's where the book of Acts ends. We don't know how that what exactly happened there, uh, but it probably didn't end well for Paul. Um, so when he was being captured by the Jews, uh, by the Jewish leaders, um, he, the Romans grabbed him, pulled him out of the crowd so he wasn't uh, mobbed to death or lynched. And he was up on some stairs, higher than the rest of them, and he said, please, can I speak to my countrymen? And uh, so the Roman, says, Roman guard says, go ahead. And he says, please allow me to present a defense of my life, of my ministry. And then he goes into and he explains uh, why he uh, does what he does, what his um, modus operandi is. Um, the, the verse for this is Acts 22, 1. Brethren and father, fathers, hear my defense, which I now give and offer to you. And he starts with how Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, how he understands scriptures, how he's been living that out. And so it's it's more than just if somebody says, hey, why, why are you living differently? Uh, it's more than just saying, well, you know, I believe. I mean, certainly that's going to be part of it. But you should be ready with a reasoned defense, as in Paul, when, when he had a chance to explain to his countrymen um, why he was living differently, why he was worshipping Jesus. He, he was ready um, 
to give a reasoned defense of his faith that made sense to them, that was using their language, that was using their, their vocabulary. Not that all of us need to be like the Apostle Paul, but depending on, on our, our context, depending on our giftings, we need to have some sort of a defense. Now, apologetics, again, this is a legal context. Um, this is uh, the idea of just a pro professional, polished, reasoned um, presentation. So, because I'm, um, I'm not uh, philosophically postmodern, but methodologically sometimes I am, I don't necessarily believe that just one definition in the Webster's Dictionary has the entire idea of what a word means. Words have different meaning in different contexts, so I have actually five definitions of what apologetics is, and I think that we'll find truth in each one of these definitions. Uh, and everybody that teaches apologetics course will probably have a slightly different definition, but the first definition I offer is apologetics is being ready with a reasoned defense when skeptics ask. When a non-Christian asks you, why do you believe, based on 1 Peter 3.15, we should be able to say, this is what I believe and this is why. It's not just an emotional faith that I have. It's a, it's a reasonable, it's an intellectual faith. And here's my reasons for my faith. So definition number one, apologetics is being ready with a reasoned defense when skeptics ask. The second definition, apologetics is using reason, debate, and arguments to convince someone of the truth of Christianity. Apologetics is using reason, debates, and arguments to convince somebody of the truth of Christianity. And right here I can feel people going, whoa, hold on a second. We're not supposed to argue, we're not supposed to debate people, we're not supposed to be mean, are we? We're just supposed to love everybody. Um, well, actually, if you have a good look at, um, at Acts and how the apostles actually, um, how they shared the gospel, you'll see a lot of interesting verbs. And I did a study called, um, sorry, it's kind of an academic title, but if you look on my blog, The Utterances of the Apostles, um, that is a research paper that I did in seminary. And I just looked at every single verb in the book of Acts and I looked at the Greek, and I did a very dry, very boring word study of, there might have been about 30 different verbs, of what the apostles actually did. And what I found was that the apostles, the lion's share, something like 90% of what the, the verbs that the apostles were doing in sharing the gospel was all speaking verbs. Uh, and so this kind of fights against the temptation to say, share the gospel um, or preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I mean, the, God, the, the apostles, how they changed the world, was not by loving people, building hospitals, um, kissing babies, handing out lollipops. It was preaching. It was sharing the gospel. And there's all these different verbs for how they actually do it. Um, and one of, oh, several of the verbs are explicitly argumentative, combative even, defending and explaining and um, convincing people against their will, so to speak. Um, so the first person that we see do this is, the, is uh, Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. And there's a reason he was the first martyr is because he was convincing people very, he was arguing very convincingly. Um, so Acts 6, 9 Acts 6, 9 says, But some men from what was called the synagogue of freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. So, um, just a tiny bit of context here. There's, they're in Jerusalem, 
And there's people, there's Jews from Jerusalem, but there's also Jews that are from all over the Roman world. And there's some Gentiles that as adults became circumcised to become Jews or that weren't circumcised, but were still, um, they worshiped the Jewish God. And so people that convert as adults to a religion tend to be a lot more passionate about the religion than people that just grew up in it. Um, and these people are very passionate against Stephen and against the apostles who are preaching this new gospel that are seeming to subvert the religion that they converted to. Um, and so they, they rose up and they argued with Stephen. So this is this combative thing. They're saying, hey, your religion is wrong. Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not the Messiah. Uh, stop saying this. And they're presenting these arguments. Hey, and I don't know what they were, but maybe it's something like, hey, Jesus just called himself the Son of Man. He never said he was the Son of God. Um, the Messiah, uh, he didn't he didn't crush the Romans like the Messiah is supposed to do. This didn't happen. That didn't happen. Here's the reasons why you are wrong. Uh, and verse 10, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which with which he was speaking, with which Paul was or Stephen was speaking. And so then it continues that um, they got some people together, they got a mob, and they attacked uh, Stephen and they ended up killing him because they couldn't handle his his wisdom and his intellect. Um, we're going to talk about ad hominem attacks. And ad hominem, that's Latin for ad is against, and hominem is man. So it's against the man. Uh, and it's a logical fallacy because if you're, you're, you're arguing with somebody about, you know, whatever, Coke versus Pepsi, and you're like, well, the sugar content is different and the, the taste is different. And eventually the other person's like, he's winning the argument. And you're just like, oh yeah, well, my dad's cooler than your dad. Um, or you stink, or something like that, you've lost the argument. You, you've resorted to just name-calling, uh, or you've resorted to force. And this is where the, the argument eventually went. Usually, ad hominem attacks means that one person has won the argument, and the other person doesn't know what to do, so they just start flailing around and, and throwing insults. Um, the second time that this happened was Acts 9, or the second example I want to show you is Acts 9, 21-22. Now, this is right after Paul got saved. He had this Damascus Road experience where Jesus appeared to him. He was blinded. Um, Jesus sent somebody to heal him. Scales fell from his eyes. He got up, uh, was baptized, ate some food. He was full-blown Christian after that and started preaching almost right away. And um, in verse in uh, Acts nineteen, or Acts nine nineteen. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he be began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, "He is the Son of God." So this isn't, he's not being soft and gentle out there just, you know, loving people and, and um, hoping people ask him. He's out there proclaiming, uh, declaring a message that Jesus is the Son of God. And those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who was in Jerusalem destroying those who, okay, etc. But Paul kept, so they were surprised that he had this conversion experience. Verse 22, but, call, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is, this, is the Christ. 
It's a very, very strong language. In fact, I'm going to have a look at the Greek here. Refresh my memory from the study I did a long time ago. So in uh, so the first word is Saul kept increasing in strength. Well, that's pretty pretty clear. He's he's learning more things. He's getting better arguments. Things are becoming more clear in his mind. He's becoming more passionate about it. And he's confounding the Jewish leaders who lived at Damascus. He's confounding them. So this word is su sukcheo which means to pour together, commingle, to disturb the mind of one, to stir up, to tumult, or to outbreak, or to confound or bewilder. So he's he's confounding them. He's he's making their minds all cloudy and murky. He's messing them up. He's he's causing them to go what? He's making he's causing all sorts of angst inside of people because he's using their Bible, the the scriptures that they believe are true, and he's proving from the scriptures that Jesus is Christ, which is a conclusion that they don't want to accept. Um, he's forcing them to think things that they wouldn't want to think on their own. And secondly, he is proving that Jesus is the Christ. And this is the word, um, wow, summa bibzeo, summa bibzeo. <laughs> My Greek is extremely rusty at this point. Um, but the verb means to bring together or put together, hence to compare and examine as evidence, and so to prove. So he's, this is the verb of meaning taking one thing and another thing and putting the two together. Um, and so Paul is taking concepts and, and pushing them together in people's minds and forcing them to think and forcing them to re-examine it and, and confounding people and, and pushing them to to rethink what they had already believed. Uh, and so, and this is apologetics. Um, sometimes people teaching apologetics class just use 1 Peter 3.15, uh, and that becomes kind of a shaky foundation because it's just one verse uh, for the discipline of apologetics, but Paul uses apologetics all throughout uh, the book of Acts, right from the very beginning. Immediately after he got saved, he went into the synagogues and started arguing and defending his, his uh, faith using reason and evidences, um, confounding people and uh, forcing them to reevaluate. So apologetics, definition number two, is using reason, debates, and arguments to convince somebody of the truth of Christianity. So we're going to look next, I mean soon, next podcast will be uh, why or why not. So we'll look at, I think there might already be a feeling of resistance or feeling that maybe apologetics isn't good if it's arguing. Certainly we've seen it done wrong before. Uh, but Paul was arguing for his faith, uh, and so was Stephen. So if it's in the Bible, it, I mean, it, it can't be wrong, right? Um, third definition, apologetics is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. And to explain the ideas of the Bible. Yeah, I think I'll just... Uh, Part of this is going to be a rough draft, so I'll, I'll change a few things here as we go. I like the definition without the last phrase here. So apologetics, definition number three, is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. So this is the other main source for talking about apologetics is Acts 17, the very famous Mars Hill Address. Uh, there are two very influential churches in the last decade founded called Mars Hill Church, very different approaches, but... Um, what they had in, in common was an attempt to reach people um, in their own context and try and make the gospel relevant to them. Acts 16, 
or Acts 17, 16 to 33. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. Paul was in Athens, which is um, the, the intellectual center of the ancient world. Even today, the Western world is still very much based on, on the ideas that came out of Athens, such as um, the beginnings of medicine, the beginnings of, of philosophy, or not the beginnings, but you know, the beginnings of modern philosophy. Um, democracy came out of, of Athens. Um, I mean, a, a lot of really important things. And so he's kind of here at the center, at the epicenter of, of Greek thought. And um, as he's waiting for his co-workers to catch up with him, he's, um, he's talking in the synagogues, he's, um, and he's also wandering around the marketplace. And uh, he notices, there's just this mention that he noticed uh, in, in verse 16, that his spirit was being provoked within him as he observed this city full of idols. Um, so obviously they're Greeks, they're pagans, they're worshipping lots of idols. And as a Jew, he's, he's offended by this. And as a Christian, he's offended by this because there's only one true God. And as he's preaching in the synagogue, some Greeks hear him and say, hey, you ought to speak in our, um, in our hall where we, where we share our philosophical ideas. And verse 21 mentions, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Uh, kind of a pejorative portrayal of what was going on in Athens. Uh, but the idea is that there's a lot of new ideas continually cycling through. Um, and so they were willing to hear Paul because, hey, it's just something new. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. Now I think I'll read this whole address here. Uh, verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move, live and, move and have and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children." For being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of the midst. But some men joined him and believed, others whom also were Dionysius and the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So uh, there were a few people that converted. Most of them did not. We can observe a few things in this passage, uh, the sermon that he had on Mars Hill. The first most striking thing that we see is this is probably the only sermon in the Bible uh, this would be great to do a study before, maybe before I teach my class. Um, but I believe this is the only sermon in the Bible where there are no direct Bible references. 
Uh, there are certainly biblical concepts that he shares, but he doesn't say in such and such part of the law of Moses, it says such and such, and try and prove it that way. Because the Greeks at the time, the, the, the Greeks that he's speaking to, don't hold scriptures to be um, a source of authority. And so what he's doing is he is using different sources that they would consider um, sources of authority to explain the gospel to them. He says, and, and during the time that he was doing cultural analysis, cultural hermeneutics, or exegesis, as it's sometimes called, as he was observing the culture, observing these, these idols, he wasn't just being offended by them, he was also studying their culture, and, and he found an altar that said, to an unknown God. And this is his springboard, this is his launching point. They were so religious that they had an, another altar that they just said to an unknown God, thinking, well, if there's a God that we've missed, we'll sacrifice to this one as well. And, um, you know, he'll hopefully be pleased and not hurt us uh, if we sacrifice to him, even though we don't know his name. And so Paul says, perfect, you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me, let me, um, let me explain to you what this unknown God is. And then later on, he quotes one of their, um, in verse 28, um, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are all his children. And then, so he quotes one of their prophets as saying, or one of their poets as saying, we are all children of God. He uses a secular authority source that they would have considered at least interesting, maybe not an authority, but this is somebody that they respected, and uses this as an authority for what he's going to say next, is that uh, if we are children of God, how could God be stone or metal or wood? Uh, something that we make. We are children of God. He must be similar to us, just as our fathers are similar to us. And then he goes on, finally he talks about kind of revelation, what, what God reveals to us about um, God will judge the earth, there will be a resurrection of the dead, and Jesus you know, has, has come, um, uh, and Jesus has died and been risen from the dead to show us this. So eventually he gets over to biblical revelation, the things that God has revealed to us. But he, the place that he starts from is something in culture, and along the way he uses um, a cultural source, a cultural poet, to prove one, a, an important point as he's moving along. So, apologetics is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. It's the opposite of... Um, just preaching Christianese to unbelievers. So um, this is something, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, as I went to a secular high school, as I tried to share my faith with people that had no clue what I was talking about, um, it would not have worked for me simply to say, have you been washed in the blood? Um, or, or something along those lines. That the idea of being washed in the blood doesn't make any sense to a non-believer. It doesn't even make sense to some believers, probably. That's a very, very theological concept. Rather, um, I would need to talk about uh, guilt and shame. And one way that I could do that is to talk about a contemporary film that really delves into you know, the depths of human sin and, and depravity. Um, something like uh, Shake Hands with the Devil, might uh, by um, uh, Romeo Delero talking about the genocide in Rwanda. Um, 
could talk talk about that and and why are humanity so sinful and is the same sin kind of in us and what are we going to do with this and then we can talk about how God must see humanity as sinful and how how Jesus um, can save us from this sin that might be a launching point that might be a direction starting from um, something from common ground something that they already accept as true in their culture we can move then towards um, the the Bible as the answer. Um, so apologetics is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. In other words, apologetics is missions. This is something where, I mean, and there, again, I come from a, a seminary that does not teach, that actually teaches that apologetics is wrong to do. And what's amazing about this is they teach that, that missions is a good thing to do. We should do missions. And as we do missions, we need to understand cultures. We need to understand, uh, you know, if you're going into a tribe in Africa, you need to spend a few years getting to know their language, getting to know their customs, getting to know their culture, so that when you preach the gospel to them, you might not say, um, go therefore and be fishers of men, because in their culture, if you catch a fish, you're going to kill it. Uh, you, they're spear fishermen, and so why would you be fishers of men that's killing them? Uh, so you might have to find a different way to translate that. Similarly, they might not have sheep in their culture, but they might sacrifice dogs um, to to atone for their sins. And, and I know of at least one African culture where this is so. And so in this culture, after they have done culture hermeneutics, after they have understood the culture, they say, Jesus is the dog of the world, or Jesus is the dog of God instead of the Lamb of God, which to us in our culture, that's, that's terrible. But to them in their culture, that makes sense. Taking something from their culture and saying, yes, Jesus is the answer to this. Jesus, this is how Jesus fits into, the, into your culture. This is how Jesus will save you and redeem you. So if we can do that overseas, can't we do that here? Um, because we're increasingly getting to the place where, um, even though we're we were a Christian culture, we've become increasingly a post-Christian culture, where, yes, there's still, you talk about the plank in your own eye, you talk about don't throw the first stone, you, you talk about, you know, there there's certain expressions from Christianity that still permeate society, but people have a very confused idea of, um, of what the gospel is, what the Christian message actually is. Uh, one example that, um, that kind of sticks with me from high school was, I heard, overheard a conversation, this lady was talking about, um, th this girl was talking about her boyfriend and, and kind of teasing her because it was Easter season, and uh, in front of the local Christian bookstore, there was um, a big sign that says, He is risen. Of course, as Christians, we understand that's you know, Jesus written, it's risen, it's the Easter story, yay, let's celebrate, let's proclaim it, loud and proud, big sign out front, He is risen. And, uh, she was laughing at her boyfriend because her boyfriend saw that and he said, who is risen? Satan? And she laughed at him and said, well, come on. You should know it's Jesus that ri that's risen, of course. And he's like, well, okay, I didn't know that. Um, and he felt kind of silly. And uh, But this is the reality of what we live in. That people on the street, if you say, if it's Easter time and you see a sign, he is risen, there will be people that honestly have no clue what you're talking about. And they might think of, of Satan rising or Batman rising, the Dark Force rising or whatever that last Batman show was called. Um, they might have all sorts of crazy ideas, but um, 
they won't necessarily understand your Christianese lingo. And so we need to understand how do we share the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. So apologetics is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. Fourth definition, it is a systematic presentation and defense of the ideas of Christianity for Christians and non-Christians alike. It is a systematic presentation and defense of the ideas of Christianity, which is for Christians and non-Christians alike. Um, in Acts 19.9, I won't go there uh, just now, but uh, it talks about how Paul rented a hall, a lecture hall, called the Hall of Tyrannus. And he lectured there for months on end about what Christianity is. Um, when we do apologetics, oftentimes what we, what we feel forced to do or what, what the discipline pushes us to do is just to explain exactly what it is that Christians believe. Um, often this is done through systematic theology, um, starting at what are our philosophical starting points. Are we pre-modern, post-modern, post um, or modern, or whatever? And then moving on to who is God, moving on to what is humanity, moving on to what is sin, what is redemption, what is the world, how does the world relate to God? And all these different topics, one by one, we can examine them, and then when we're presenting, this is what I believe about this issue, you provide all the evidence for that. That is you know, evidence to convince Christians, evidence to convince non-Christians. And in doing systematic theology in this way, or there's other ways of doing uh, theology, um, narrative theology, and other different, different ways, um, in doing this, we're doing apologetics. And in doing apologetics, uh, we're doing theology. We're presenting the Bible. We're presenting theology to people. And uh, this is going to be for Christians and non-Christians alike. Because as we defend the faith, quote-unquote, for seekers, what we often find is that the people that are most interested are Christians that are already in our pews, that have tons of questions. Maybe they come from a Christian home, or maybe, maybe they were saved as adults, but they just never heard a good answer to certain questions, such as, uh, how can a just God send people to hell? Uh, how does the death of Jesus really fix problems that I have in my day-to-day -day life today? Um, how do we deal with the Crusades, with um, witch burnings, with uh, is, is Christianity against science? What about evolution all that stuff? Um, we find that in presenting Christianity in a systematic and thorough way, defending our beliefs rationally with good evidence and good logic, um, we find that it's tremendously helpful to Christians as well as non-Christians. Finally, apologetics is war. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 6 or so says, um, or sorry, starting at verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. There's lots of martial uh, metaphors throughout the New Testament for explaining what the Christian faith is. We are in a battle against Satan and demons and the world, and the flesh, to save, um, by all means, some souls to worship God um, and to enjoy Him forever. We are in a battle for the souls of men. Uh, for Not a physical battle, not a, not a military battle with real guns and, and bullets, but a spiritual battle. 
and uh, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, powerful for the destruction of fortresses. For we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So, a big part of this battle is an intellectual battle. And Paul makes it very clear, and, and throughout church history, this has not been clear, and we have done crusades and, and witch burnings and, and things to try and, and defend the faith through military means. But Paul was clear enough, our, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, um, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, for uh, destroying speculations, for intellectual idea, um, strongholds. And we have the idea of fortresses and speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. As apologists, we are on the offensive and attacking ideas in our culture that are um, raised up against the knowledge of God. A culture in a society um, works as a unit. There's individual members within the unit, of course, and everybody has their own ideas. But as a culture and society, we tend to create cultural stories that define us and that, um, that, that answer important questions for us. And I'm dancing around the world, the, I'm dancing around the term worldview right now because I don't really want to get into worldview. But every culture is going to have their own cultural stories that explain things to them. And some of the major cultural stories that we have today say things like religion just causes violence. If you talk to anybody on the street, um, 9 out of 10 people, if you talk about religion and say, I'm really passionate about my, my religion, I give my whole life to my religion, I'm so sold out to my religion, I'll, I'll do anything for my religion, pretty soon they're going to be like, whoa, 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 don't be too crazy about your religion, Don't just remember that religion causes violence. And uh, we don't want to be too sold out to religion because it'll, it'll cause violence. And what about the crusades, what about the witch burnings, etc.? As well, um, if you start preaching Christianity and the Bible is true and things like this, pretty soon people are going to say, well, what about evolution? You can't really get around that. Um, I had a, a hitchhiker in my car a few years ago. I was driving out to a class on the way back. I picked up a hitchhiker and I just... He was uh, a young guy, but uh, already by his own admission a raging alcoholic and he was a little bit inebriated at the time. And uh, I was like, well got nothing to lose, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy. And so I did, and I tried to present as clearly as I could the, the gospel message, and um, he presented a lot of really well-reasoned objections to Christianity. One of them was evolution, one of them was the, the Big Bang, talking about crusades, talking about religious violence throughout history. Um, all these cultural stories, no matter who you're talking to, are going to come up when you're trying to share the gospel. And you need to have an answer. You need to have a way to get through that, or else you won't get a hearing. People will just say, well, you know, the Bible's disproven by evolution, so, you know, have a good day. I'm not really interested. If you don't have a good answer for some of these things, you're likely not going to get um, a chance to share more of your faith, especially with certain people. Apologetics is war against ideas 
not against people, but against the ideas that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Now, as a war, there is um, an offensive and a defensive side of apologetics. Offensive apologetics is, um, is saying that stronghold is wrong. That stronghold, that idea that's raised up against Christianity is wrong. Um, and the major contender against Christianity today is atheism. And we're going to talk more about that in future podcasts. But people like Richard Dawkins, um, writing books like The God Delusion um, and the... Who are the others? Dennett and... Um, can't think of them off the top of my head. We refer to them t- sometimes as the Four Horsemen of the Atheist Apocalypse. Um but militant atheism is very much on the offensive against Christianity. Um, and one response is to attack the philosophical presuppositions of, of atheism. To attack and say, well, does atheism really make sense as a system? Does, do we have any way of defending moral obligations and duties on atheism? Does atheism have any coherent way of explaining how a universe could be eternal um, from only natural, um, from purely natural causes. How could a a universe be eternal? Um, And so we can go on the offensive and say, your philosophical system doesn't make sense, therefore have a look at ours. As well, we can be on the the defensive. And with with people writing books against Christianity, such as the New Atheists, such as, as well, uh, liberalism, and you have academic liberalism, uh, that if you study in a university, if you study even at a high school level, you're going to have people presenting a liberal view of Christianity, and we'll talk more about Well, I have podcasts already on that. You can go back and listen to um, the podcasts on liberalism. I have a five-podcast series and explain what liberalism is and how we can respond to it. Um. But So you can go to school and experience that, or you can simply um, read the fifth most read book in the world, which is The Da Vinci Code, and that will present um, a popularized version of liberal critiques of, against Christianity, mixed in with a whole bunch of pure fiction, um, things that simply aren't true. But when people present things like that, we need to have a defense, we need to have an answer. We can't just simply say, well, I just believe and that's it. Or Jesus, you know, makes a big difference in my life, whether it's true or not. That might be helpful for you personally. And um, it, it is personally helpful to just say, I know that Jesus exists. And sometimes we have real difficulties answering a certain objection, certain question. And for yourself, yeah, it's, it's okay to just say, I don't know what to say to this objection, but I know Jesus lives. Um, but if you want to share your faith and if you want to make a difference in the world, you're going to have to, um, or if you want to really make an impact on uh, saving souls, we're going to need to have um, an ability to tear down some of these strongholds that are raised up against the knowledge of God. So there's offensive and defensive types of apologetics. As well, apologetics is war, and as such... It is, in a sense, the queen of the sciences. Uh, there was somebody that said, and I thought it was Napoleon, did a Google search, could not find the quote. Um, it might have been Hansu, 
Hansu, uh, the the Chinese guy that wrote uh, the Art of War. Uh, is that his name, Hansu? Anyways, um, one of those guys said that war is the queen of the sciences because in war, you study mathematics, you study sociology, you study history, you study um, philosophy, you study all the other domains in the study of war. And in the same way, apologetics is like that. Uh, we're going to be dabbling in ethics, philosophy, anthropology, archaeology, history, astrophysics, biology, mathematics, and probably other disciplines, well, theology as well. Uh, we're not going to be able to master all or even any of these, but we're going to uh, get our feet wet in each of them. And each one is going to provide um, help for us as we, um, as we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, um, the last thing I want to say about apologetics, and I meant to say it earlier, is that um, there are two broad categories of popular apologetics these days. Uh, one is presuppositional apologetics, and the other is evidential apologetics. Now, those are big words, but presuppositionalism is simply talking about what are your presuppositions. A presupposition is something that you believe without reflecting on it. It's something that you you come to the table with. It's it's your worldview. Um, the presuppositions that a Westerner will have will be very different than the presuppositions uh, that somebody from India would have or somebody from um, Papua New Guinea or from other parts of the world. Um, and so one way of doing apologetics is to take a good hard look at what people's presuppositions are, what their philosophical uh, systems are, how they view the world, and saying, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what is consistent, not consistent in your worldview. And then from there, explain how Christianity provides the best philosophical system. And working outwards from there, how it explains the whole world. So it's kind of using philosophy as a launching point for apologetics. That's one way to do apologetics. And it's very popular. Um, I think it was mostly popularized by Van Til. Um, Cornelius Van Til, who was... Um, affiliated with Westminster uh, Theological Seminary, a friend of, um, of Machen, uh, what's his first name, J. Gresham Machen, that I did a podcast on, which is still my most popular podcast, a uh, very important podcast, very important person. Um, and also Francis Schaeffer was um, a popularizer of these sorts of presuppositional apologetics. As well, there is evidential Apologetics and evidence, evidential apologetics, as you would imagine, is based on the evidence, uh, proving from the evidence that um, Jesus or that the Bible is true, that um, that Christianity is true. Now, evidentialism. I'm going to draw a line between um, two kind of camps of ev evidentialists. One camp is going to be the Ken Ham uh, six day creation folks, and um, no disrespect, but I am going to kind of say this is a little bit the older version of apologetics. It's still very much contemporary, still very much doing a lot of great stuff. I'm just talking about when it was started. Um, and uh, they're, yeah, older doesn't necessarily mean worse, newer doesn't necessarily mean better. I'm just saying this is the older uh, 
way of doing apologetics is proving that evolution is false uh, based on the evidence and proving that the world is definitely six to 8,000 years old based on the evidence. The newer type of evidentialism, um, we have William Lane Craig really leading the charge, um, proving from the Big Bang, proving from uh, contemporary astrophysics, proving from ethics, proving from philosophy that Christianity is true. Again, from the evidence, proving that it is true. And William Lane Craig would um, not be a six-day creationist. He, he accepts evolution and the world is you know billions of years old and all this sort of stuff. Um, other popularizers, he is, a, po he is uh, a more popular person than Wolfred Pennenberg, who is um, the high up there academic guy that came up with a lot of this stuff, um, teacher at Notre Dame, and uh, coming out of Germany. And then uh, another popularizer of William Lane Craig would be somebody like Lee Strobel, who is looking at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, looking for the evidence of intelligent design, looking for the evidence of, um, uh, I think he might have a book on like the veracity, uh, the, the reliability of scriptures. So those are kind of two different camps. There's a lot of overlap between the two, but they are somewhat different in their approach and what they're trying to prove. Something that I haven't touched yet uh, that I want to make sure I make really clear, what is apologetics? Where did I mean to talk about this? Yeah, I think I meant to put it on point number three. So again, this is kind of a rough draft for the class I'm going to be teaching. Um, so point number three, apologetics is explaining Christianity to a foreign culture using their words, concepts, and sources. Apologetics is like a bridge. And um, we're going to talk about this when we talk about dangers, that apologetics can become building Christianity on a foreign foundation. There's only one foundation that can be laid, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the cornerstone. This is our foundation. But sometimes, as Paul did at Mars Hill, we need to build a bridge over to people. And we start with their concepts. We, we start with something in their culture. And we build a bridge over them. Maybe we're, we're quoting philosophers or popular movies or popular uh, musical artists. And we're building a bridge over, coming over to where they can come over and understand what we mean when we talk about Jesus has died for your sins and, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, and he wants to, to save you and, and redeem you. So apologetics is building a bridge from other person's worldview over to our worldview, over to the Christian and biblical worldview. So that is uh, your introduction to what is apologetics. Uh, we have five definitions here, and I hope... Uh, in one of those, or in, in a combination of those, you have a good understanding of what apologetics is. In the next podcast, we're going to talk about why should we do apologetics, and we're going to answer the objections that people have um, against apologetics, and um, people that would say that we shouldn't do apologetics because it's invalid for, for various reasons. Let me pray first. Lord, I just thank you for this time that we have, and um, realize I have a lot of material to cover here, and I just pray that you'd help me to bring things down, make it concise for my class and also for this podcast. And I pray, Lord, that this would really help your church. And I pray for your blessings on this material. In Jesus' name, amen.